everyone. We're here with Kayla Daly from the Worcester Center for Expressive Therapies. Hi, Kayla. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Um, we're going to be talking about kind of the different therapies they do here, um, whether it's music, art, um, dance, or dance too. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, let's start with um, having you briefly explain kind of um, the various methods you use and, and what music therapy is. It's a big question, but predominantly at the center we offer speech and language pathology, music therapy, uh, licensed mental health counseling, art therapy, and dance movement therapy. Those are our main modalities that we happen to work with right now. There are about seven clinicians that work here, and most of them have dual licensing, so that means that they use their current modality, main, mainly being maybe art or music or movement. Um, and then they supplement that with a secondary degree, so they have like a license in mental health counseling or a license in social work, um, so that we're able to offer billing insurance options to our patients. Um, the second part of your question is what is music therapy? In general. It's a big one, but, <laughs> but typically um, the standard definition of music therapy is that you're using music clinically to um, address non-musical goals. So that might mean that a patient comes in um, feeling very depressed and that you might use music as a clinical tool to help them feel better. Um, I tend to think of it a little bit more from a music-centered approach where people are coming in to identify themselves as musicians and then therefore going, they're going on a healing journey with a triangular relationship between therapist, music, and client. Okay. Very cool. And and how did you how did you get into this this line of work? Like I assume you started off as a musician. I did. And how did you kind of go from working with, on music to to the therapy side of things? And that. Yeah, I think that um, I was actually introduced to the idea of going to school for music therapy in high school, and I said absolutely not. No, it's not for me. And then I was also, you know, someone said to me, well, you should really work with kids. And I said, no, I'll never, ever work with children. <laughs> um, and when I went to college, I went for art therapy. And I had always been a musician, so I would play out at night, and I would play guitar, and I would sing, and um, eventually found a band, and um, loved rock music, and loved jazz music, and funk music, and kind of fused all of those together to be really something that became a huge passion of mine, however, performing was just not, um, really wasn't a healthy place for me to be in at that time in my life, and um, I started to connect my self-worth with my performances, and so if I performed poorly, I started to feel like I was a terrible person, or if the performance wasn't good enough, that I wasn't enough as a human, and it was a perpetual cycle of just not positive experiences, and so I stopped performing, and um, and really focused on my education, which then turned music into a process-oriented uh, encounter as opposed to product-oriented. And it no longer focused on the aesthetic sound of what the finished product was like. It was focused on what you felt, what was the felt sense between musicians as you played together, and what, um, what your process was enabling you to kind of work through while making music as opposed to that ending product. And, and so when I went to, I got through um, my first year of undergraduate school in Boston, and I went to um, my first internship in art therapy at a children's hospital. Hmm. 
which I'd never worked with children, and I said I would never work with children, <laughs> and I'd never been in a children's hospital before. <laughs> and, and the first child that I encountered was screaming at me, and not at me, but he was screaming, you know, because he was uncomfortable. And I asked the teacher of the classroom if I could sing to him, and they said yes. And he started laughing immediately. And they said, oh my gosh, this kid screams every day, and finally we've been waiting a really long time for you, for somebody like you to come in and sing with him. And, um, and I knew right then and there that I had to go back to graduate school to finish my degree in music therapy, and so that's what I ended up doing. Okay. okay. Very cool. I, I kind of feel like this is somewhat of a, um, somewhat of an unknown health practice, so especially, I mean, this I might be projecting, but that's me. No, <laughs> and, um, and I'm kind of wondering, what is something that we all should know about, uh, you know, basically, what, what we should all know about it, and if there's any big misconceptions um, for maybe someone the first time in, or someone like me who's never actually sat in on a session or participated, like just any misconceptions that you've noticed people have? There's actually, there's quite a few. I think um, the, first, the first misconception that a lot of people assume about music therapy um, is that we only work with one type of population. So maybe, oh, this place is only for children, mm -hmm. or oh, they only work with people undergoing cancer treatment. Um, and in reality, the, um, the eligibility for treatment is very vast. And so it really goes on an individual basis as to whether or not someone is a good candidate. Um, you do not, another one, another misconception is that you don't have to be a musician to be in music therapy. Um, and I think alongside that misconception, people say, you know, well, am I going to be putting on headphones and listening to music and you're going to be singing kumbaya on a guitar or something like that? Mm -hmm. And, and um, so those are some common, common misconceptions, which none of them tend to be true. Um, really what you're looking at is that there's multiple methods. So some of the main, you know, music therapy techniques um, might be therapeutic songwriting or therapeutic singing together in voice work. Um, we might, you know, for, for example, a lot, of, a lot of people really like to use an example of a child who um, shows symptoms of hyperactivity, we might do a lot of drumming with them for the grounding experience and you reorganize your, um, basically, music is processed neurologically and therefore you're, when you're in rhythm, you're, um, your cognitive processes are actually more organized. And so you're able to process information more effectively because music is processed on both sides of your brain. And so when looking at how to boost, for example, boost serotonin and dopamine in someone who experiences chronic depression, um, engaging in live active music making with a music therapist, you have a really beautiful social activity. Um, you have improvisation, so the music meets the person where they're at and is reflective of the person in their present moment. So I'm not just kind of saying, I'm get, we're going to do this song, and it's going to be, you know, John Lennon's Imagine, and you're like, but I don't really like John Lennon, <laughs> right? So instead we're impro like improvising together, and the music is, is uh, meeting us both in the moment, and relational, you know, and expressive between, like, you and I as we play kind of situation. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, those are some, some common misconceptions about what a session looks like, I think. Um, so, you know... Some of my sessions have greeting songs, um, especially like my sessions tend to be more structured for younger children. Um, for my adults, my adult clients, the, the sessions can be analyzing lyrics from their favorite songs and what they mean to them and how they impact their lives on a daily basis. Or um, 
It could be that I really, I really love playing this riff and it just brings me to another place and I forget the grief that I'm experiencing because of the loss of a loved one. So there's lots of different music therapy techniques and listening is a component, but it's just one small component of various techniques that are used. Okay, cool, very cool. And um, how would someone know um, if they were a candidate or if music therapy would help them? There's, there's signs that, you know, especially, especially on the, the dealing with children too, parents maybe a sign they could look for. Mm -hmm. um, I think that one of the easiest ways um, is, to, is to kind of have a music therapy assessment, and that's what the assessments are for. Um, it would kind of be like uh, a similar counseling situation, so my child is um, struggling with you know, uh, making friends at school, I want them to see a counselor, and then they bring them to the counselor, and maybe talking isn't isn't quite working, that might be a situation where they might bring a child in. With an adult, it might be that they've tried a lot of talk therapy, and it just doesn't feel right for them, it doesn't seem like a good fit. Um, for um, for some, yeah, so I, I, I think we, we tend to get, we get kind of picked as a last resort sometimes, <laughs> you know? Well, this hasn't worked and that hasn't worked, so we're gonna try music therapy. Um, but in reality, an assessment is a beautiful way uh, to kind of see if someone is a good candidate for music therapy, because a music therapist will then look at the individual and say, here are some possible um, treatment plan interventions that we can work through together if you choose to engage in therapy. and for an adult, per se, or a teen, and, um, and you know, are you willing to participate in that? Um, for um, children, you know, we do a lot of pediatric work with various um, diagnostic criteria, so um, medical complexities, neurological disorders, um, but, I mean, really, I think the other important thing is that music doesn't work for everyone, and it's not, there's a misconception that it's a universal language, and and as much as music is often found in various places around the world, um, Western music is not the same as Eastern music, and cultures vary drastically in the musics that they relate to. The dissonance in Middle Eastern culture and the music there is something that a lot of West people who listen to Western music are, it, it almost sends a little discord when they hear it, and yet over there it provides great comfort for people who are from that culture. And then, um, and then sometimes, you know, someone who is used to Western music might be comforted by the dissonance. And, you know, because music is subjective, it's this beautiful world of kind of unknowing. But in order to kind of see from the clinical perspective of what, if someone might be eligible, it's really best to do two things. One is to have, schedule an assessment to see right. and talk, speak directly with the music therapist um, to assess your individual situation. But also um, the website, there's a website, the National our national association, the American Music Therapy Association, um, it's musictherapy.org, and on there um, they have some really beautiful criteria for who might seek out treatment, so um, we tend to work with a lot of the veteran population, um, addressing the needs of those men and women coming back from war. Um, we tend to work a lot with special needs children um, who have various abilities, and we tend to work with people in cancer recovery, terminal illness, hospice. So, so there is a very large group of various types of people, um, and so I don't mean to say that um, everybody is a candidate because that's not accurate either. However, there is quite a bit of treatment options. Okay. Okay, great. And could you give us um, maybe an example or two of, um, you know, a case study or or 
a couple of examples of how, you know, maybe like an amazing story or sure. of how music therapy changed, um, basically changed someone's life? Or um, I have two case studies that I typically present at the conferences um, okay. that I attend, and um, one of the one of the stories that I love to talk about is a young gentleman who came for therapy after um, a. a tragic accident where he had a severe acquired traumatic brain injury. So he was a TriStar athlete in high school, was about to go two weeks away from going off to college and experienced a severe accident while boating. He was in the back of a tube on a boat and a jet ski hit him and um, he suffered a huge traumatic brain injury. And um, and so it, it's been quite some time since that injury has happened and I've worked with him for about two years now. Um, and so when he came to me, it was kind of like a rehab focus. Like, I want to be able to increase my articulation and my breath control and my breath support through singing. Um, and over time, as we got to know each other, it became really apparent that he, he also wanted to share his story and his triumphs and his message with the world. And so we started the process of therapeutic songwriting. And he's since written numerous songs about his journey empowering other people to overcome... Um, you know, really tra traumatic situations where it may feel like there's no hope. Um, he tends to tell everybody, you know, you have to stand up and put yourself together and put one foot fr in front of the other. And so his biggest challenges are kind of expressing these these beautiful concepts of, that are really hard for the average person to kind of relate to and understand in the sense of what it's like to power through an amazing event in your life that's challenging. Yeah. And so um, so he's written these songs and he's shared them, he gifts them to people in his family, he um, has you know, given me the honor of being able to share his story at conferences and so um, there's video footage of his materials and of him singing and playing and, um, and he writes all of the lyrics himself and he chooses the chordal progressions himself and he chooses the feel of the song, the rhythms, the if he likes the seventh chord better than this ninth chord and all of these beautiful choices that he makes independently and fashions a song that he hopes to impart his messages. He's leaving a legacy behind you know, through mm -hmm. his music, um, and also is able to kind of express, you know, what some of the things that have come up were that he felt after the accident, physically he's unable to produce tears. And so he says, well, I can't cry when I'm sad. And I said, well, you know, you sure? Yeah. And he goes, well, yeah, no, I can't, I don't have tears. And I said, well, does that mean you don't cry? And he said, well, no, now that I think about it, I guess I do cry. I said, so it's, it's changed you. You have to tell people when you're sad. And and what that, what that means, and so the therapeutic process that unfolds while writing about these experiences brings light to new, new ways of being, and, um, and I've learned so much from him. I often wonder, you know, with, my, with a lot of my clients, who, who's helping who? <laughs> because, you know, it, I, he always says to me, like, you know, hey, you've you got a good sister, like, <laughs> stop whining, and he jokes around, and he has a really great sense of humor. Um, but yeah, so I think that's one of the cases where mm -hmm. processing his story and being able to then impart it and share it with the world is, um, is really huge. And uh, I guess one of the other cases that I have is, was I've been working with them. Um, at the time when she started, she was a baby and there were, she had a diagnosis of epilepsy and um, uh, microcephaly. And which it's your head, your head when you're born is two standard deviations below the norm. And, um, 
And so she was kind of combating all these medical complexities. And, and the other therapist said, well, when I walk in the room, she turns around and ignores me. <laughs> so they called in the music therapist, and there I was. Mm -hmm. And what was happening was that there was a lot of fear around the dissociation that happens with seizures. And, um, and so when sometimes when that happens, um, the effect might be that someone tries to control their environment so that they feel safe and they feel that things are predictable. And that's the beauty of music and rhythm is that it sets up a sound environment that is therefore predictable and safe and I know what to expect from the music. When I hit that drum, the feedback that I get from the drum is directly felt in a multi-sensory experience in my body. And so therefore I, I know what to expect from that drum and, um, and I can adjust my beating accordingly to what I need from that drum. Um, and so we, we fashioned um, improvised song interventions for this child to decrease the rigidity that was happening in her environment. So she was having a severe stress response to when her day didn't go the way she thought it should. Uh -huh. And so, you know, at three years old, when we said, oh, we're going to go in the car, and we weren't in the car right away, she would, she would vomit. And if we, you know, we sat on a different side of the stairs that morning, she would vomit. And, um, and so in order to kind of create a safe space for her to express her fear about these things, we created songs that redefined some of that unknowing time. So what does it mean to wait for a child? You know, that's so confusing. It's a really weird concept, waiting. <laughs> and, and, well, what do I do while I wait? Well, you wait. You do nothing. You just wait. And, you know, for a little, um, a young child, that's, that's extremely challenging and hard. And so you create a music intervention to say, well, when you're waiting, it means that you're singing a song about having to wait, and you can beat the drum while you wait, and you can play ukulele while you wait, and you could sing about how frustrating it is to wait because you're bored. And, and it redefines waiting and is more functional and... Um, and you know, in decreases the rigidity and increases tolerance. And so you see all these beautiful things that happen, but it just happened through improvisation and music about the issues that were coming up. Oh, very, very cool. And um, <clears throat> so I don't know if I don't know if there's like one exact answer for this, but um, what is what is the future for this type of therapy? And have there been any really big advancements? Um, in the field in like the last couple or maybe few years that have kind of changed the way that you do your job and other music therapists do their job? Mm, that's a really good question. I mean, I don't know if anybody can really predict the future of our field. I mean, I would, right. hope, I would hope that it continues to grow and that um, awareness and advocacy are always a huge part of what we do. Um, I think that in terms of advancements, our, our field is only, and I, I feel shameful for not knowing the exact number, but we're about 65 to 66 years old. We're a very young field. Uh -huh. um, you know, the history of music therapy and, and art therapy and the arts, um, it, it, and all over the world, I mean, it goes back to ancient history that we've been making art and music as a healing process. However, you know, it became to pick up as a therapy method in the 60s. Um, we had a lot of institutionalization happening, and um, we had men coming home from war and had no way to you know, address PTSD symptoms, um, and so music and art were predominantly used to address their needs, um, and, and so then it became kind of a, an art form that people explored more of and tried to develop, and pioneers in our field really worked hard to kind of create a foundation around methods and standardizing ways of looking at um, creative music therapy models, improvisational music therapy models, um, 
you know, neurologic music therapy models, brain-based models, and, and the guided imagery and music are just five of the basic core, you know. And even within those models, there are models. And so um, we're kind of going through a similar building of our field in the, in the sense that the field of psychology went through, of trying to kind of place names on really ethereal concepts and, and understand the, the interventions that we're using and why and how. Um, and then to be able to impart that into the world. Um, I think that there is a movement of wellness and um, a movement away from pharmaceuticals uh, and, and looking at that movement of holistic healthcare, um, integrated therapy models, and, um, and the beautiful thing about the advancements in the medical field is that we're able to see in neural imaging and uh, and through testing, the effects that um, live active music making with a the music therapist has on a patient. So for example, if you were an Alzheimer's patient and you had music therapy, and then they performed the same test on a patient um, sh to show brain activity and progression of the disease, um, uh, patients with music therapy, their Alzheimer's progresses slower than a patient who doesn't have active, you know, that relationship in music. And so there's some of those really beautiful um, studies that are done. I think that some of the things that need to happen is that a lot of us are so focused on being clinicians and developing places where people can come for services mm -hmm. and how to do that, that a lot of us have trouble finding time to build in research. And so that's kind of the long-term goal of the center here. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that later, but... The long-term goal of the center is to make it a learning facility, a research facility, and have an affiliation with okay. a college. And so that way we can kind of do both. We can provide a place where people can come and find services, quality services, and the right clinician to work with them. Um, but also that we can provide the expressive therapy field with the research that supports what we do and why we do it. So then it's a, you know, excuse me, it's gonna, you're going to grow and... Um, and provide hopefully larger studies that will um, increase the reliability and the validity of what we do and share that with um, larger populations. Okay, perfect. And, um, and, and, and again, this is another question. I'm not sure if, um, like, how much detail you could go into, but I was just curious, in general, how receptive has the, the local community been um, to your center? And, I mean, in terms of maybe people coming... Uh, kind of goes back to a question earlier, like new people coming in, like how mm. how receptive are they to this type of treatment their first time, or maybe as it moves forward, are they generally... I think um, being the owner, I tend, I tend to get to know almost everybody who walks through the doors and who works with all of our clinicians, and I have to say we have amazing clients who are fierce advocates, um, but they wouldn't be fierce advocates if they didn't feel that it worked. and. Um, and so we've had clients who go back and report to their friends and friends of friends and, and through word of mouth we build our client basis and through referrals and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, there's always a bit of concern um, sometimes for, uh, for those clients who have been only exposed to traditional therapy methods. I want to know that it works. Can you please prove to me that it works? How do I know that I can trust this process, that you're not just kind of coming in here and slamming on some drums and expecting me to have a spiritual experience? <laughs> um, so, you know, um, having the treatment plan and the documentation to kind of provide our patients with an understanding and, our, and a, 
a breath of like, okay, there's there's an actual treatment plan, there's goals and objectives on this piece of paper, and this is evidence-based practice that, you know, it's, it's proven to have worked. Um, I think that's important for a lot of people who haven't been exposed to the work before. Um, I think also, like any field in therapy, not just music or art or dance therapy, but with even just counseling or psychology, a lot of people say, well, I came once and it didn't work. And therapy is definitely a process, and I think I always ask all of my clients, please give us at least six weeks. You know, after six weeks, I think it's pretty fair to say whether or not it's a good fit. And it's also okay to say when it's not a good fit and that we can find another clinician that's a good fit for you. And, um, and so you're asking a lot of people to come in and be open like that because most people seek help and seek therapy when things aren't great. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of being able to provide a safe space that that you can hold people at their worst and um, and give them a, a safe creative space to explore those those the I guess the emotions and things that come up for them in that process. But um, but the resistance typically um, and the greater scale of the community we haven't really experienced any. I mean. People are just so excited that something like this is in the city. Yeah. And, we, I, you know, we had talked about that before we started the interview, that mm -hmm. um, I have a huge passion for the city of Worcester and to help it grow in its, um, in its new rebirthing process. <laughs> and, um, and it is that. And, and it's got so many amazing things happening for it. And we just want to be a part of that. We want to give back and we want to have a place where people can come and create and explore. Gotcha. And uh, besides music, are there any other um, expressive therapies you offer here? Um, so, so the we just added dance movement therapy, which I am so excited about, and um, and I recently was teaching this past week and was able to work with a dance movement therapist that has actually done some processing um, with the students that we were working with, the graduate students that we were working with at Lesley University. We processed um, just the the world events through movement. Um, and it was some of the most amazing work I have personally, like, viscerally experienced in a long time. It was very moving. And so I'm excited to add that component here. Um, we have the space to do it. Um, and now we have an amazing clinician to help us carry out the work. And, uh, and we'd like to have that intermodal experience, which means that you can use art. You know, I might use the piano or use a drum in a session, and then I find that my clinical judgment says that this client really needs an art experience, and I'll bring in, you know, um, some crepas or some oil pastels or some paints to continue the flow of creativity because what they were processing really called for it. And I think that that's yet another kind of goal of the center is that we have this intermodal experience where we have the space to move. We can come to another room and make the music, and then we can come to another room and make the art and have a really beautiful flow. Um, and so that's why the center is called the Expressive Therapy Center, um, because we're able to offer all of those things. I would eventually love to look into um, methods of psychodrama and poetry therapy, it's something that's kind of on my back burner for a little bit, but um, I have had a few people ask about it, and so I think that's kind of something that we'll look, look at in the future. Oh, nice. Very cool stuff. And now, is there anything else you'd like to let us know about you or, um, or your center? I mean, just that we're here. <laughs> we're here, yeah. and um, and I think that uh, we're very we're always open to people scheduling tours and things like that to come and see our space and ask questions. Um, you know, we're growing a recording center um, space in our studio here to be able to give um, our clients 
you know, recording time. And, um, and I think that just as we grow, we want to be a part of the community. And there's, there's a huge initiative in our field for community um, expressive arts and, um, and healing. And, and I think that as we grow, we'll continue to kind of hopefully provide that safe space for Worcester to, um, you know, to, to just act as that glue, I hope. You know, I hope that we can enable the city to know that this is a place that they can come and a safe place that they can create and explore and express themselves. Um, and that the changes that they can encounter here are really beautiful and, and um, yeah, we just hope that, that people kind of come to know and understand that. Okay, and um, you yourself are a musician. Um, are there any projects uh, that you're working on currently, or is there... No, I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> just I try not to. Here. Every once in a while I play a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, we have a little, little cash on the side, but, <laughs> um, but really my role as a musician has um, shifted a bit into this clinician, business owner, slash, you know, professor, and... Um, and I've become a better musician through my work than I ever did playing out. And I think it's because one of the biggest things that any artist or musician or dancer can do is to spend time with their art. And I'm in a position where I get to do that every day, all day. And so instruments that I never thought I would be playing, I play all the time. And um, But the it's almost like a meditative place of prayer where you get to spend time with an instrument for a long period of time. and you change and the way you play it changes and your relationship to the instrument changes and it changes your life and and I think that that's something that um, I hope to, you know I hope that various other you know if, if any musicians ask me what my process has been like they I think a lot of them feel bad for me that I don't play out anymore mm -hmm. I, I see a lot of people say oh or I've had someone tell me that I'm selfish oh. <laughs> <laughs> built a center <laughs> to give yeah. music to everybody but <laughs> I think that um, I think that that's one of the things that I'd love to be able to kind of share with musicians is spend time with your instrument and make time for it and not in a pressured performance way, in an exploratory creative way, um, because it will thank you day after day. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, great. Well, um, that's, that's, yeah, not, <laughs> that's all the questions I have today. Thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you for sitting down with me. Um, I find this whole thing so interesting. Hope you do too. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and um, if you're interested in any more information on anything we talked about, check out some of the links below. Absolutely. And um, I will see you next time. Yay! <laughs>